They may be called the next generation, but they're the church of today. Reach, disciple, and mobilize students to share the hope of the gospel. This is Next Gen On Mission with Shane Pruitt. Hi, friends. Shane Pruitt here. Welcome to another episode of the Next Gen On Mission podcast. We are so excited for you to hang out with us today. And I am over the moon excited about our guest as we talk about mobilizing the next generation of women for ministry. And today our guest is none other than Jenny Allen. She is the founder and visionary of the If Gathering, which is an absolutely massive ministry with global impact. She is a passionate leader following God's call on her life to catalyze a generation of women to live what they believe. She's a best-selling author, speaker, wife, mama, follower of Jesus, and just an all-around amazing person that God is using in great ways for his name, fame, and glory. So, Jenny Allen, welcome to the Next Gen on Mission podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, it's a, it's an honor for you to be on. Um, my wife and I are just such, um, I don't know if fans is the right word to use, but you have impacted <laughs> our lives and we oh. have just been blessed by your ministry from a distance. So it's an honor Thank to have you. this conversation with you. Thank you so much. I yeah, I'm a fan of what you're doing as well, and I believe in it. And it's just exciting to see the next generation coming up and what they're capable of. I I am very encouraged about what I see. Yeah, same, same. Well, before we get too spiritual, tell us one fun fact that we should know about Jenny Allen that we may not already know. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, I mean, what comes to mind right now is that we are fans of Facebook Marketplace. Okay. And by that, I mean that almost every hobby somehow points back to Facebook Marketplace in our lives. So, <laughs> and by that, I mean that we bought a used hot tub off of Facebook Marketplace when we moved into our house because we are, um, well, I, we bought a really old house and yeah. it doesn't really have any bathtubs or anything. And so we would hang out obviously in our bathing suit in the back, in the hot tub in the backyard with our teenagers. And the cool thing about it, it sounds completely janky, the whole thing. Um, <laughs> like you, first of all, just used hot tubs should never exist. Those words yes. together should never exist. But, um, the, the cool thing is that our teenagers will get back there. You can't bring your phone in there. So we would have like the longest, best conversations. We would, um, you know, we just, it was super bonding and awesome. And it actually is like one of my favorite hobbies is to <laughs> hang out of the hot dog with my kids. Um, so I think Facebook Marketplace has brought us many things. Um, well, another one was a used scooter. <laughs> and and again, when I use the word used, I need to mention, we're talking hundreds of dollars we paid, not thousands. So yeah. it's like barely going with both of us on it. But that has brought us much joy. Um, my husband got his green egg, which we grill all the oh, time yes. off of Facebook Marketplace. So we feel like Facebook Marketplace has been akin to, you know, the Holy Spirit's like work in our lives. Like it has, <laughs> it has blessed us abundantly with, <laughs> with many junky things that have brought joy to us. I love that. I love that so much. And so I, I get it because I'm a, I'm a sneaker head. And so I'm on a lot of apps yeah. with used sneakers. And so I'm just having to get over that mental of like, okay, can I put my foot in a shoe that someone else 
his foot has been. So I get the used hot tub aspect. Oh, watch out. You're going to end up on an, an app called Preachers. And Preachers. I know. Don't, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. You'll have to sit defend it and yeah. say, hey, they're cute. They're cute. Yeah. I always joke. People, you know, will tell me that. And I'm always joking like, no, the shoes on there of like thousands of dollars. They're not the ones you right. get for sale at Foot Locker. You know, those are the ones I'm buying. <laughs> okay. You're safe. You're safe. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, well, Jenny, I always love to uh, open the podcast with the same question. It's so fun to hear different leaders' response to this, and you've already kind of talked about in a positive light of it, but what do we need to know about the next generation? Yeah, well, what I see, now I'm raising the next generation, right? Like, I've got two two kids, one in college and one headed there, so I'm watching that age group closely, of course, and and I'm seeing uh, revival. I mean, literally, just have spoken um a lot of my last year of my life has just been on college campuses and i would say it's probably my most delightful king gigs um because i am watching them respond to the gospel i mean it, it's in a passionate single-minded focused way that is free of a lot of the issue-based christianity that i see in really my generation where i mean again it's not all bad there's a lot that i am a part of it's far as fighting racism and I mean there's sure. a lot of it that's causing good but I think sometimes it can distract from the pure and simple gospel and what I see in them is the pure and simple gospel now I think they've got to grow again let me be super clear I've, I've given a lot of my life to fighting racism I, I, that is a gospel-centered fight so that's not in con, you know in opposition to the gospel but I think sometimes we are fighting um, a lot of different fights without you know, really just preaching Jesus. And I want to be sure that that's really what we're known for is that we preach Jesus. And then because we preach Jesus, we fight evil in our day, right? Like that needs mm-hmm. to be the, the sequential order. And what I see in them is this, this kind of bright-eyed, pure-hearted confession of sin, let's repent and let's move forward and follow Jesus that is just so beautiful. And you see throughout Acts is is the beginning of the church where they just, they just believed in God and they followed him, you know, and, and it's, uh, it's beautiful. I, I have so much hope for that generation. Yeah, I, I agree, Jenny. And I'm seeing the exact same thing of, uh, especially with Generation Z, when there's not a whole lot of really cultural Christianity in that generation, they're mm. almost kind of a post-Christian generation. And so I've probably seen more over the last 18 months to two years, people just get flat out saved and go all in than mm-hmm. probably the previous yeah. years of ministry combined, you know? Yeah, that's what I feel. Yeah, love it. Love Without. It. Without without even uh, pushing the button of like let's do confession, they're confessing sin publicly. Like it, it has been, it has blown me away. And then the conversations afterward are: Should I go on the mission field? Should I, you know, go into ministry? What does this mean? And I'm thinking, oh my goodness! Like you're you are you're zealous from the moment you run out of the gate, and it's I just think it's incredible, and I cannot wait to see what they're going to do for the kingdom. Ah, same. Yeah. And that's what I say as well. It's like when they make, for lack of a better term, that decision to follow Jesus, it's a all in decision. I see that so much, especially in high school students and college students, for sure. Love it. Yeah. Well, Jenny, briefly tell us like your testimony and your call to ministry. We'd love to hear that. Sure. So yeah, my story is I grew up in a Christian home and I heard the gospel throughout my life, probably, and thought that I had received it in first grade. When I look back, though, there was no fruit. There was no spirit. There was no relationship with God. It was just kind of a 
get out of hell, you know, prayer. Mm-hmm. I just did not want to go to hell. And it wasn't until I was 17 and I was at um, a summer camp called Canacuck and I saw like the reenactment of the crucifixion and I just wept. And I remember just going, this, this was for me and realizing that I needed a savior personally. It wasn't just, you know, humanity needs a savior. I needed a savior. And I think I saw my sin for the first time. And when, and I really believe that was the point of salvation because when I went home, I, I, you know, Beth Moore wasn't on the scene yet. And I didn't have any like female Bible teachers that I knew of in my entire life, but I started teaching the Bible and I pulled together younger girls and taught them the book of Revelations. That was my first study <laughs> that I ever did. Um, Cause I thought it was interesting and to keep their attention. And of course I have no idea how I thought I would love to, if I had only recorded it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I loved this so much and I had to talk about him and pretty quickly saw and was told, you know, you have a gift of teaching and a gift of communication. And so I didn't know what that meant for a female. I thought I had to go on the mission field mm-hmm. because there really wasn't opportunity for women to teach the Bible in America that I saw. Of course, now, you know, I, I'm well aware there were opportunities, but I didn't, I just didn't have those examples in my life. And so sure. fast forward, um, years later, um, I, for beginning that semester in my junior year of high school and on into, um, my thirties, I taught a local Bible study of women every semester of my life, um, and still pretty much do, uh, locally even still do that every year. So, so that really was a consuming passion in my life was discipleship through the word of God and through small group and through church. And so, I just am such believers. Nothing has ever changed about me. You know, as, as public ministry has grown, it's still just an overflow of that passion for the local church, passion for discipleship and passion for the word of God. And, and I really believe that's how Christ said that the church would grow and disciples would be made. And, and those are the structures he set up. And, and I just have tried hard to follow that. The, the interesting thing is, is now, you know, a lot more people are, are involved in all of it, but ultimately everything I build and everything I do is still for uh, making disciples in the context of the local church, in the context of small group with the word of God. So nothing's really changed. I just see it as a bigger platform to help those things happen because I do see a need for reclaiming discipleship as a means of life change. Because when I look at, um, at where our generation I think has gotten off, we have believed in technology and blogging and all these you know, even no offense to podcasting, but we both have one and, mm-hmm. and hey, everybody, you know, it works. But but I think where we've got to use those gifts and those tools is to catalyze people into small group life on life relationships. Because if I were to ask every one of you um, who changed your life, top five people name more than any other, who's shown God more than any other, it probably would be somebody that five people you've known in real life. Not that there aren't catalytic moments that Francis Chan you know, was giving a message and you were moved, but, but largely those five people are going to be people you knew in real life. And if we don't realize that that's the power, that's the life change, you know, catalyst is, is real life relationships. We're going to lose the ways that, that we came to faith. I look at my, my story in my life and I had a, a campus crusade for Christ mentor who followed me like a stalker in college and got me to go to Sonic with her and, and made chocolate chip cookies and made me read master plan of evangelism. And, and that's how I had developed a passion for discipleship is because of Michelle Boast at university of Arkansas. So if I, if I look at 
the, the landscape today, I just don't want those disciple makers to feel less than or that they're not having an impact. I'm thinking that actually is what the rest of us exist for, you know, to equip the saints for the work of the kingdom. So, you know, my passion is books, Bible studies, podcasts, whatever medium God gives me to champion, to um, to catalyze small group real-life relationships, even though largely he's given me a microphone, a computer, and a publisher, you know? Mm-hmm. But, but in my mind, all of that is just tools to catalyze the real-life discipleship that I think needs to be reclaimed in our culture. Yeah, I love that. And I love that the name, and you remember your name, because mine was... Ivan Carr, and I was 21 years old, um, saved right out of a party lifestyle. I was in junior college and failing out of junior college. That's almost impossible to do, to fail out of junior (laughs) college, but I was was accomplishing it. And the guy, Ivan Carr, he was 68 years old, literally, I mean, just King James only... pastor who who probably mowed his yard in docker pants. I mean, we couldn't have been more exactly. opposite, but he loved me and the gospel was the great just connector mm. there. And I'll never forget and what the life he's poured into me and he's now in heaven and uh, at his celebration mm-hmm. service his wife gifted me the Gideon New Testament King James Bible that he used mm. to walk me through the Romans road. And oh gosh. Wow. Yeah, I love it. Well, let, let me ask you this, wow. Annie. When it comes to next generational women, and when I say next generational women, I'm thinking, you know, young adults, college students, high school, junior high. Um, I have a, uh, our old, we have five kids. Our oldest daughter's 13. What is the next generation of women facing that maybe their moms and grandmothers didn't face at their age? Well, the world's darker. I don't think anybody would question that or debate that. Nothing new is under the sun, so we know that these aren't darknesses that other generations haven't faced. But I do think that when I look at my kids, and two of them um, are currently in public school, three of them, mm-hmm. and and what they see every day and what they're exposed to every day is certainly more um, toxic than, than what I was exposed to every day at the same age. So they are up against toxic you know, feedback constantly. And so what we're seeing specifically that I think is just off the charts and terrifying is a increase in mental illness mm-hmm. and, and suicidal thoughts. And, and so that's really the, the thing specifically that I'm fighting for with that generation right now. Um, that was the project I just finished was Get Out of Your Head. I wrote yeah, a book so good. Um, on it. And, and even right now on the podcast, we're doing it for kids. Like, what does it look like to fight for the next generation in their minds? Because the numbers and statistics are terrifying. And where is that coming from? And I think it's it's from a lot of different places, but I definitely think technology is a, a huge, playing a huge part in that, in this isolation culture where, where loneliness is an epidemic and, and we've got anxiety off the charts at ages that are unthinkable. I mean, four or five, six-year-olds struggling with anxiety. So, mm. so there's something going on that's just, it's, I believe it's demonic. Um, yeah. I really do. I think, I think we are looking at one of the most potent and powerful generations um, in our lifetime coming up as far as their, as we've talked about, their sensitivity to the gospel and their desire to spread it. But we're also looking at the bondage and the darkness is after them as especially strong. Now, one positive about the generation is they're pretty open about it. Yeah. I mean, I'll have my friends, my kids' friends opening up to me about anxiety, opening up to me, you know, when they're over about um, suicidal thoughts and things. So. 
that's cool. Like they're, they're, they're not ashamed. Like they're, they're talking about their addictions. They're talking about pornography. They're talking, they're, they're opening up about it in a way that I think generations before them didn't. And, and at the same time, there's a helplessness in them that they think they don't have power over these things. And I think as older generation, we've got to model and we've got to preach and teach that they do have power and that God has power over these things. And he's gifted them with the ability to, to, um, and the, and the weapons to fight better. Because I think what, because they're surrounded by mental illness, because they're surrounded by, um, you know, addiction and all these different things, struggles, they can start to feel like, well, there's no way out. Everybody I know is struggling with anxiety, everybody I know. And so you start to almost just think it's inevitable and there's no way out. And so my hope to them is one, you can be radically different in your generation. And again, I'm not talking about, uh, forgoing counseling and medicine. I think all of that should work together. Um, but I also am saying don't depend on counseling and medicine without fighting in the spirit through prayer and fasting and, and all that too. So it should be both and not, not necessarily one or the other. Um, so I'm a big fan of you start with the doctor and start with the physical because you're never going to pray away something that's, you know, that's physical that needs medicine. So mm-hmm. let's, let's do both. Um, but I, but I think we've got to fight better and not be passive about them, but have really hard conversations, have, you know, good tabs on them. You know, someone like you, what I would say is don't be afraid of over monitoring their lives. Um, it will feel invasive to them and they will shame you to death, but you, you are the one that will fight for them. If you know how to fight, if you aren't aware of the text stream with, you know, you have a 13 year old daughter with a 13 year old boy that is making her feel ashamed because, you know, she's, she's not interested in him, but he's sending text after text. After. If you don't know that that's happening, they're going to fall into a toxic relationship on accident, you know? And so there's just more exposure to the world and to difficult situations that we ever had. And so we've got to be those that fight better and stronger. Yeah. Great. Oh, such a, a wealth of wisdom there. I agree with that 100%. And I see that, I see that on a daily basis uh, with my daughter and her friends and just the people that we have the opportunity to witness to kind of segue again into in continuing to drill down on that a little bit when it comes to reaching, discipling, mobilizing young women. And, and we don't want to say this in any way to to beat up the local church, but to maybe point out and encourage and empower the local church. Like, where do, where are our blind spots right now in Next Gen mm-hmm. Ministries and ministering to the next generation of women? And mm-hmm. where do we have to get better? Yeah. Well, you know, I guess I'll, I'll highlight somebody that I think is excellent at this. And it's my friend, Jonathan Bacluda, yeah, a pastor in Waco, Texas, yep. who was at Watermark, where I go to church in Dallas originally. And so what, what Jonathan's done well, and this is, and he's actually written books about it, and I would recommend all of those books. Um, he just released one for leaders in the church about how to reach the next generation. And what, what he's done well is he has not been afraid of any topic about it the same way pastors would speak about tithing or, you know, obedience to the government or like, Mm -hmm. he he just, he just says it matter of factly, pornography and addiction and drugs. And, um, you know, he just says whatever that generation is facing matter of factly. So what, and he deals with it in a biblical way. So what people have been drawn to is that's the struggle of their life. So they don't feel like the church is avoiding it. They don't feel like it's shame-based. They actually feel like, gosh, I could go here for help because they're not fulfilled. That's the cool thing about this generation is they're trying everything and they're trying it fast and young. So either that's going to build a generation that's 
hugely addicted going forward or a generation that's already tried it, done it and said that doesn't bring life and I don't want it. And that's really that third thing is what I'm seeing in the church is that that either their friends have, they have, and so they just need people to address it and tell them how to fight it. And I think recovery ministry is something every single church needs to have. A celebrate recovery at our church, we call it um, region. It's it's basically, um, or is that what it's called? I can't remember. But it's <laughs> they have lots of re. <laughs> yeah. But um, but it's basically a recovery ministry like celebrate recovery. So we've got to be churches that are hospitals first because. We're looking at a generation that is spending so much mental illness and, and difficulty in their young marriages and, and difficulties as new parents that they didn't really have necessarily stable homes to learn from. So so I think being churches that provide really practical help of what it looks like to follow Jesus, maybe even before they hear the gospel, because what I see bringing a lot of people to our church is marriage ministry. And they're not even believers, but they come to marriage ministry because they didn't learn how to do marriage and their marriage is now blowing up. They're 20, you know, eight and they have their first kid and they, and they cannot figure out how to go forward. And so they end up at the church in a marriage ministry. Well, that leads to church, but it doesn't start with church. And so I think the church has to do a better job of just meeting the really tangible needs that this generation has of, uh, you know, and all of that equivalent to discipleship, right? Like Jesus didn't preach a lot of sermons to his guys. He was like, Hey, okay, drop your nets and come come on and let's go to a wedding. You know, that's like one of the first things they did um, is they went to like Jesus's, you know, family friend's house and they went to a wedding. Like he traveled with them, he ate with them, he showed them what it was like to walk with God. It wasn't um, just a bunch of lessons out of a book. It was real life on life. This is how you do it. And I think we've got to be that for the church and not just set up classes, but really empower the generation ahead to mentor and disciple the generation coming because they are hungry for it. Now, they won't tell you that. You have to almost insist on it, but but they are hungry for it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you think about it, what's, what's really mind-boggling is if a 20-year-old college student has already lived through 9-11, the Great Recession from 2008, and now COVID-19, and so I'm tracking with what you're saying. Like, they know the world is broken. They know there's a problem. But the question is, what is the solution? I, I love that. Oh, I mean, everybody I'm talking to, nobody's really seeing each other or their friends yet. And yet everybody I'm talking to has had somebody that didn't love God that's kind of starting to ask questions yeah. to them. And and I'm like, this is, this is completely the grounds for revival. And so we've got to be, like, moving into that in a really unapologetic way. Of, but it starts with meeting needs because ultimately they're going, okay, this is broken. Help me. And then as you help them, you're pointing to the one that ultimately taught us how to have a healthy marriage, taught us how to parent our kids, you know, taught us how to live sacrificially for the good of others. Yeah, no doubt. So the older, more mature, just infinitely wise Jenny Allen can get in a time machine and go back and visit the 18 year old Jenny Allen. What would you tell her? Just to not play it so safe. I think I spent the first, you know, 15 years of adulthood very anxious and aware that my decision would be scrutinized. And if I stepped out and led, there would be opinions about that. And so I think I played it safe on the back row. And and that's okay, because what God did in that season was I was discipling a living room full of girls, you know, semester over semester. and, And God used that. And I really believe that will be some of the best work that when I get to heaven and I see the kingdom 
built through my life. I really believe a lot of the generations of Christians that come out of that, those years of discipleship will be some of the most important work, but I still was afraid. And I, and I don't think I was fully obedient to all that God had for me in those years because I was afraid. And I wish I had just fought my fear younger. Yeah. Well, Jenny, I've heard you speak on this next one. So this is really just lobbing up a softball for you to just go (laughs) after. And so we always close uh, the Next Gen on Mission podcast with this same on mission charge that the heart behind this podcast is that the next generation would also see themselves as the now generation, not just the future mm-hmm. of the church, but the church right now, that they have a calling now, a mission now, get in the game now. I've heard you share a little bit about this. So give us one closing thought on this. Oh, I mean, I I just, I would encourage all of you to, to, realize that this is going to go really quickly and we are going to be in heaven high-fiving and celebrating and with Jesus before we know it. I just, I feel it. I mean, Ravi Zacharias, you know, as we're recording this is, is fighting cancer and, and, um, and probably going home soon. And, and I just, you know, I think the gravity of that is just causing all of us to look at our lives and go, are we making decisions that we would on our deathbed be glad we were making? And, and I think, that's the question we've got to ask ourselves because we've been given a few days here to build the kingdom of God and let's do it with all our heart and with all of our, you know, gifts and with all of our passions and with all of our resources. And I believe that can look so creative for everybody. I I really do. I think that all of us um, taking our gifts and the places he's put us and the people he's put us in their lives um, is, is how the church was meant to be built. It wasn't with, you know, I mean, no offense, we can use podcasts and all that, but ultimately, like, the kingdom of God is built the same way Jesus built it, which is, you know, a few people in your living room that you're you're making sure know how to follow Jesus. And and that's the Great Commission. That's what he charged us to do. And so just don't feel like that's—don't feel like that's the part that's playing small. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's the front lines of the kingdom. And, and if you—you know, I always tell my girls— I'm like, if you're making two disciples this year, that's winning for mm-hmm. the kingdom of God. Like you are winning. And so be sure that you get what God said to do right. And then the rest can be bonus, right? If I'm, if I get to bless people on a podcast, great. But if I'm not making life on life, real disciples right in front of me, then I'm missing the commission and what God's called me to do. And if all of us do that, if all of us that follow Christ make two disciples, we have complete a different universe. Like we are living in a different, on a different planet. If just each of us took two. And so revival is in what happened. So anyway, I, I'm just such a believer in not missing the main thing. And the main thing is life on life discipleship. That's what he said. I mean, he's, a, he's raising the heavens, last words, and that's what he calls them to go do. So let's be sure we're doing it. Yeah. Love that. Jenny, I'm always so encouraged every time I hear you share and speak. Thank you so much for your time. This has been so good. How can people um, follow you on social media, uh, find messages and your books? Where can people find you online? Sure. So it's JennyAllen.com, J-E-N-N-I-E-A-L-L-E-N.com. And you can find all kinds of things there. We've got free tools for you. We've got, um, yeah, all my books and Bible studies are linked there as well as my social media accounts. 
Yeah, I love it. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for your time. And friends, thank you for listening again to the Next Gen on Mission podcast. Uh, we pray this has been a help to you and your life and your ministry. If you have any questions whatsoever on reaching the next generation, please email us at evangelism at nam.net, and we'll try to address those on a future podcast. Also, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, if you would, subscribe, follow, give us a rating, a review, share it with everyone you know, and we pray that you have a great rest of your day, and tell somebody about Jesus.